Warning, the following contains spoilers pertaining to the show and subject matter discussed. Also, strong language and adult content may be included. Listener discretion is advised. Thank you. Wow! Look at the line! I wonder what it's all for. Hmm, that's a good question. I mean, I can't imagine it's for any business nearby here, unless it's some pop-up sale. Wait, I think I figured it out. Look around. White trailers? Look at the signposts around with the orange papers? Ah, they're shooting something here. Looks like an episode of Law and Order SVU. Those must be people in line to be extras in the shoot. That makes a lot more sense. Bless them for coming out so early and for standing around for so long. Mm-hmm. And don't forget, for standing around in the cold, it takes dedication. Some people will do anything to be on screen. Haven't you heard the old story of the foreigner who dreamt of being on the big screen so much that he would do anything at all, just even be an extra? That sounds suspiciously like the show we saw a couple days ago. Well, maybe it was. Either way, it is still relevant for this moment. Mm-hmm. Come on, let's get where we need to be. I'm pretty sure they did not cast us in this episode. Okay. Break a leg to that group nonetheless. Welcome to Stage Whisper. I'm your host, Hope Bird, and with me is my co-host, Andrew Cortez. Today we're going to be discussing the dark comedy, The Cripple of Inishman. So hurry and take your seats. It looks like the show is starting. Hello everyone, and welcome into today's performance of Stage Whisper. We shouldn't laugh at Billy, but we will. Along with many others in this show, which is the subject of today's episode, The Cripple of Inishman. The quintessential dark Irish comedy from well-known playwright Martin McDonough brought wit and charm to audiences while telling the harrowing story of a young orphan from the small, sleepy Irish town. But we've already gotten ahead of ourselves. We must first set the stage for our tale by laying the groundwork. The Cripple of Anishman opened on December 12, 1996 at the Royal National Theatre in London. In April 1998, it was opened off-Broadway at the Joseph Papp Public Theatre, again with Rodery Conroy in the title role. In the same year, Frederick Kohler played Billy in Los Angeles. The play was produced off-Broadway by the Atlantic Theatre Company in conjunction with the Druid Theatre Company of Galway, Ireland, opening on the 21st of December, 2008. Directed by Gary Hines, the cast included Carrie Condon, Andrew Connolly, Lawrence Kinlan, uh, Dirbla Malloy, Aaron Monaghan, Marie Mullen, Patricia O'Connell, 
David Pierce and John C. Venema. In 2013, the play returned to the Knoll Coward Theatre in London's West End for a sold-out run starring Daniel Radcliffe as Crippled Billy and with Michael Grandage directing. This seems like the perfect time to introduce our design team. The playwright was Martin McDonough, director Michael Grandage, scenic and costume design by Christopher, Christopher Oram, Lighting design by Paul Constable, sound design and composer Alex Barnawaski, hair and makeup design by Campbell Young and Associates. The show opened at the Court Theater on April 20th, 2014 for a limited run. It played 105 performances closing on July 20th, 2014. That season it would be nominated for six Tony Awards. So let's sit sail for the Emerald Isle. Tiny hairs of an African violet And when I have a child She'll grow up so plain in the dirt and on pavement And if the day ever calls Where I lose my bones Given into a habit I'll bite my lip with a drip of red The Cripple of Inishman is set in 1934 On Inishman The least populated of the Aran Islands In Galloway Bay As such, inhabitants are often bored to tears and engage in copious idle chatter to pass the time. Shopkeepers Eileen Osborne and her sister Kate spend countless hours contemplating the tragic life of Billy, the 17-year-old physically handicapped boy they adopted as a nephew after his parents died when he was an infant. Poor Billy will never be kissed, muses Eileen, most gleefully in her pity, unless it would be a blind girl. Billy walks with a limp, his leg permanently extended in point, and his left arm curled against his shoulder. Most people on the island callously refer to him as Crippled Billy. He's an introverted boy who spends most of his time staring at cows or the pages of a book. That all changes when Johnny Paddenmike, the island's primary purveyor of gossip, comes into the Osborne store bearing news of a big Hollywood film, the Man of Arran, shooting on the neighboring Inishmore. Billy hatches a plot to escape Inishmon and become a famous actor. He feigns tuberculosis so that the boat owner, Babby Bobby, will take pity on him and sell him to Inishmore, where he can meet the film's director, Robert Flaherty, and convince him to take him back to California. Sadly, Billy's misfortunes are just beginning with this misguided attempt at success and happiness. The end. So now we will discuss the parts that we liked or maybe didn't like about the show. And first, may I just say, holy hard Irish Gaelic names. Um, If we butchered the names, please, I apologize to everyone. Well, I just, it is a whole other language and I love it. I want to learn more about it. But I know we have some listeners over in that area. Um, For instance, we have a, a follower named Aoife. 
and it took me forever when I've done lines, uh, lives to get their name right. I tried so hard, and I was like, Aoife? That doesn't look like Aoife, but it's Aoife. And I was like, I am learning so much. So, holy hard names. But we made it through, and we learned. Um, and speaking of learning, back to the cripple of Inishman. I was too young and naive to appreciate the show when we saw it. So, at the time, I was not a fan of the show, and was not really sure what the show was about or why this was on Broadway. I literally was like, we're not really doing anything. And I'm just kind of like, but then, but then like now having more knowledge and more maturity and reading more of the works, especially with Martin McDonald, who I love, I love most recently he did hangman. Um, I look back at the show and I have a whole new appreciation for it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, okay, I totally get this now. I understand why it's a dark comedy. I understand why it almost was like minimalist. I under, I get it now. Now I did. Now that being said, I did pick up on the fact that it was a dark comedy, even in that moment, that it wasn't. I thought it was going to be a drama because we were dealing with you know crippled Billy. And I was like, why is everyone making fun of him? And I'm wanting to laugh too. And this is kind of a funny situation. And. You know how just like Irish humor is, where it's so it's like so dark. Mm-hmm. Like that's where I was like, are we supposed to be laughing? And then I was like, oh, I guess, yeah, this seems to be like an Irish playwright's interpretation of comedy versus an American playwright's interpretation of comedy, which is more slapstick and gimmicky. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, and the humor derives from the fact of the audacity of the things that the people are saying. Rather than the more like slapstick um, back and forth of the delivery of the lines in American comedy. Well, that's exactly the point. I mean, I I found that that the way the humor derived itself out of, you know, their world is so bleak and boring that they'll make fun or tear down anything just for entertainment kind of thing. You know, they'll find a way to create something entertaining out of anything, whether that be a little bit of gossip, whether that be making fun of Billy, whether that be just anything. They're going to find a way to create something because it's the same old day in, day out. And so when something finally comes up, they want to that 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 sparks something. And, And no matter what the cost, they want that that change that new. And so that humor was really appreciated where I feel like more in American writing, we're a little more cautious about at what cost is that joke going to be? Right. Well, and that's where I think we definitely have the two different... Um, we have a couple of different schools of thought behind humor. And that is something that we kind of clash with between the Irish dark comedy and what we would consider an American dark comedy. Right. Um, but it all stems from a place of truth and people's reactionary... Um, yes. Natures. Yes. And so, um, one thing with this show that I've always kind of grappled with is these guys are essentially making fun of a cripple boy. And yes. And to me, that's extremely ableist. And um, explain what ableist means. So ableism is a system that places value on people's bodies and minds based on societally constructed ideas of normalcy. Um, and so these are like, it's, it's basically, it's a 
it's a form of systemic oppression that places um, value and worth of a person based on their appearance appearance or their ability to um, to appear normal. So in other words, seeing the fact that Billy's leg cannot bend and that his shoulder is also curled and he has a crutch, he is obviously less than a person. Even though there's been no proof that he can't perform less than a person. Exactly. Yes. And so it's like, okay, all these people are making fun of him for this, but here he is having this, obviously, you know, there's fulfilled no, life, and yeah. he has this brilliant mind, and so it's like, why are you harping on the poor kid? Nothing has shown that he is less than anyone on the, or he can't do and, anything that everyone else does. And so I think that it's important for me, because I also had a hard time understanding the comedy of this show, and then after seeing Hangman, or Hangman, Hangman. Um, seeing that the the, co- the dark comedy style of it is more about the audacity that these people have no filter than it is that they're making fun of this person. Well, so knowing, reading and seeing more Martin McDonough work is uh, Martin McDonough, who, who also wrote The Pillow Man. Mm-hmm. He writes very dark work. In this case, in this show, for me, it shows how humor and humanity can arise out of... Uh, 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 can arise out of the most hopeless situations or out of pity as well. You know, there's a lot of uncomfort around how do we handle Cripple Billy, as it were, you know? Mm-hmm. Because and, he makes us uncomfortable. So we're going to make humor out of it. Us. But it also shows that people are really just terrible people, too. Mm-hmm. And, and so at the same time of showing it, and what I love about the theater is that we don't, in this show, it doesn't mask that, where. Sometimes in shows you kind of gloss over. You want to just like tune up to make that character just feel a little more theater theatrical. Where, you know, oh, maybe they wouldn't be so bombastic kind of thing. Where in this show it's like, no, really, you know, that would they would be that offensive. Really, that probably did happen. That is how they are. And I feel like more and more shows are that way. Where they're like, I know, isn't it awful? But the, the, this kind of person exists. Think about it. Mm-hmm. How many people have you heard that have said something about someone that you're like, you can't say that. Mm-hmm. But then also what I love about the writing of Martin McDonough is you feel that way, but then also you catch yourself laughing a little and you go, wow, I'm just as horrible too. And it makes you realize that no matter how good a person you think you are, yeah, we're and all it- still just a little bit terrible. We can do better. So, and maybe in recognizing our flaws, even, you know, as accidental as they may happen, we can move past them by acknowledging them. Exactly. You are not better than the people you're seeing, even though you may be like, well, I clearly have a better life than these people on stage. Yeah, that's not everything, though. You know, Uh, I mean... It can go all the way back. I mean, since we're in the month of December, think about a Christmas Carol. The poorest people in there. The you know uh, uh, what's his name, Tiny Tim and um, Bob Cratchit, the Cratchit family. Oh, the poor. You know. Oh, but look how lovely their life is. Yet, yeah, da 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 da. And you've got the rich guy, Ebenezer Scrooge, who's so comfortable and he's got a horrible life. That tale has been told to us for for centuries, and literally, it's telling audiences that don't judge. Just on the look, because you, even though you can't connect physically with a character, that mind space, that head space 
you might totally be in the same level. Mm-hmm. And and that humanity is what actually connects us all, not your monetary status. Right. Um, I also felt that the the show was real and authentic from the accents to the speech patterns to the mannerisms, just everything. It, it really felt like a small bit of Ireland on the Broadway stage. I was fully transported into this world. That's one thing I really remember from the show. I mean, like I said, I didn't understand it. I look back and I'm like, I didn't get it at that time. But I do remember being like, yeah, but everything, I did get submerged into it. Why didn't I get it? You know, I just wasn't, I didn't have all the tools in my belt at that time to understand it. Mm-hmm. I wish That's a good I, way to put that. Yeah, sometimes a show goes over your head, but I, I wish I could go back to me and yourself and be like, hang on, you probably need to see this again. Or I wish I had someone that could help explain like, this is why this went over your head. This is why you, you know, that was my first time seeing a really dark Irish comedy. Subtle, if you will. And I wasn't sure what I was getting because I've never seen a comedy where it wasn't, yeah, where I was like, why is that funny? Mm-hmm. You know, again, it's the writing and it's smart. And I'm like, okay, now I get it. This wasn't meant to make me roll on the floor laughing. Mm-hmm. This was meant to be like, oh my god, that's terrible. I shouldn't laugh at that. Like, you know. But then kind of inspirational at the same time. And of course, we don't know at the end. Like, it's elusive. Did he make it in the picture? Did he not? It At first, you're like, he made it. But then you're like, but did he? They put a little bit of doubt in there. Mm-hmm. And so you're like, wait, what? And you're just left not knowing the answer. It's the worst. But that's that's the brilliance of it. You know, so why don't we dive into our little boxes? I'm still working on it. Um, Let's start with our set. I don't remember much of the set except for the textures wanting to reach out and touch them because they felt like. Like those stones. I remember stone. Yes, yes. So, yeah, because I love the set in that with that because the stonework. Um, I want to know if it was stone. I doubt I, I'm it. I'm sure. What was that? I said I doubt it. Well, but it looked like stone, and with how much it was, like it. Lo- I was like, I'm sure it's gonna be like I don't know. I'm, it, probably not wood, but some form of like styrofoam carved and then painted. But it looks so real, mm-hmm. you know, with the like the hay in between and everything, you know. And I was like, that looks so. Incredible. And we mainly saw that at the general store where Billy lived with his aunts. Um, and then I just loved how drafty and old and falling apart, like, the building felt. Right. It just, it felt so old and like it had been there for forever, yet also... It felt old, but not dilapidating. Yeah. You know, so it had, I mean, it had character. If, if we were trying to sell it like a New York apartment, it had character, you know. Yeah. Um... But it just, the color scheme, it, 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 um, it helped to, I don't want to say encompass, that's not the word I'm looking for, but it just helped communicate that overall feeling and emotion that the actors were also bringing onto the stage, that mood, that heaviness, that, <sighs> you know, mm-hmm. I, I, it, oh, oh, this is great. It, it almost felt like waiting for Godot. 
Like they all came on stage and it had that nothing to be done kind of feeling where we had the grays and the browns and it was kind of desolate and, you know, everyone's just waiting for something to happen. Yeah. Like everyone is just in this state of waiting. Yeah. And the only time we really get a good sense of a change was when Billy goes to the to the water to get on the boat to go to uh, Anishmore. And all we see in that case is a boat. And, and it's like in a silhouette. We know it's brown, but it's a silhouette nonetheless. So still, it's kind of desolate. But I like that they use those earthy textures of just wood and stone and hay. We didn't get away from those earthy textures. There wasn't any, like, you know, tile or metal. You know what I mean? It was rough mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, do you mind if we move on to costume? Never. I always enjoy talking about the costume. Well, then take it away. So, I mean, the costumes were very realistic. Um, and what I mean by realistic is they were clothes that you would see on real people. They weren't these images of of high fashion or rich people. It was things that were simple textures. And the way that a garment became lovely was small embellishments. You know, it was like a, a poor class of clothing and that's what made it the costume i don't know if that's making much sense yeah but it's like you know you have these simple fabrics simple shapes almost everyone has the same shape they all looked worn and faded as well as tattered mm-hmm. it wasn't and, again it wasn't destitute it just looked like they were from the lower class the hard-working class the kind of people that made every inch of everything stretch right well and especially because it's like these people while they don't have a lot going on they also don't have the capability for the emotional adage of altering their dress a ton, except for the young, the I believe Kate is the youngest. Uh, like she's the one who's the closest in age to the one that makes Billy. fun of Billy. That is correct. Yes. Helen. Helen, sorry. Um, so Helen, um, you know, she kind of is the only one who has like a more different silhouette than everyone else. Everyone else just kind of has the same clothes because everyone would have gotten their clothes from the same place, and you know, you had to care to make alterations to look different. And that's just not where these people were. And you really saw that in the clothing. Yeah. Um, I also like the palette that they chose. It was all browns and beiges. And even in the colors well, that like existed, they were and, muted. Yeah. Like these dark and faded blues and reds. They weren't these, you know, pop. They just looked worn and va- burgundy, you know, but a faded burgundy. Um, right, but also they didn't look like trashy or anything. They just no, they just looked worn, and just, it was and it's literally the my outfit is is not tattered. My outfit is not like ripped. But why do I need to get a new one? What what purpose do I have? You know, mm-hmm. uh, we always made the joke when I was growing up about having to look our best. When, when my my nan would always be like, comb your hair, put on good clothes, and we're just going to get the mail. And I'm like, nan, it isn't like the queen's going to be out there. You know, what's wrong with me just wearing my regular shorts and a t-shirt? Who's going to see me? It isn't going to be the queen. I feel like that's kind of their attitude of like, nothing special ever happens here. We see each other every day, so why do I have to get gussied up for you? This is fine. Mm-hmm. Clothes are clothes. I will say I loved Helen McCormick's red hair and pigtails because it really stood out and it looked amazing. And it just, it was enough to draw that attention and show that she, because her character was different from everyone else. Yes. She had that different energy, that different light. And it was almost, and, and you could see that she, almost like, I'm going to get out of here. And she, you know, having the crush on Billy, Billy who 
So to me, like Helen had the dream to get out and Billy had the motivation to get out. Yes. And together as a couple, they probably would together make it out. If they had combined forces, they would have been in yeah. a really good place. So I like that that really splat. And I, and I I mean, I hate to say that hair comes under costumes, but in the theater, sadly, it does. It should be its own thing. But for everyone else's hair to be a simple palette that works with the costumes, except for her. Well, for hers her was still out. vibrant. Right. Everyone else's was muted. Hers was vibrant. That's the word muted. But hers really stuck out. It made her character also stand out. And so we we subconsciously paid a little bit more attention to that character and her relationship to, to Billy. Um, and speaking of colors and muted and things like that, I want to go on to the lights. I thought they were fantastic. It was dimly lit most of the time. But when there was a wash on the stage, it was like soft white. Mm-hmm. And obviously at this point in time, there's no electricity, if memory serves me right. I believe there was electricity, but it wasn't something that everyone had as readily available. So it might have been like you had electricity in the kitchen or in the general right. store. But it's but not but like it's electricity not. like where it's in every room and tons of lights. You know, the general shop didn't have 50 light bulbs kind of thing. So there was this soft white enough to... And, and, it, and this isn't like hyper-focused... But, I mean, I remember the lighting not going above the general store. So it was very much like... Well, the what you're saying is that it was bright like you would expect for a comedy, but the edges were dark, so that way it read as a dark comedy. Wow, you went there. <laughs> but yes, I mean, like, it, it, it was almost like a film where it could it narrowed in what we were supposed to be looking at, which I really appreciated. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the show was done as if it were a really bright candle lighting the space. The darker moments, like down by the water when Billy's going to go get in the boat, I really thought were beautiful because it was a mix of blues and purples with just this hint of orange. And I thought that was really... Because to me... Okay, so... I mean, we've talked about what blues and purples mean in the past, motivation-wise, but we've never really talked about what orange means. And I feel like orange is, like, excitement. Orange is... Adventure, like, but orange can also be scared and anxious as well. Right, but I think in this instance, well, actually, in this instance, you get both. the The captain, as it were, who thinks it's bad luck to carry a cripple on a boat, probably is scared and anxious. Where Billy's going on an adventure, so I love that there was this slight splash of orange in that scene, and I was like, "This is re- it's it's accenting that beautiful blue wash." And really giving us a beautiful moment in that moment. in that moment. <laughs> I also really appreciated the gray wash on the back walls of the stones that really helped to just bring out that set. Like I said, it looked they look like stones. The stones look like stones, man. Stones were stones and they were stoned. <laughs> wow, you went there. Um <laughs> Our final little box I want to talk about today is our is the direction. So the fact that I still remember the story for the most part uh, is a testament to both the acting and the directing, considering how ignorant I was then. I'm going to own my ignorance. I'm going to sit in my chair and own it. Um, I need to read the play to get uh, a better grasp of the show again, um, which I do on our lovely shelf have the play. Um mm-hmm. But from what I can remember, the show was just seamless, and it was 
consistent and it just flowed like it that's the one thing i remember is i didn't find myself being like oh my lord like can we get out of this scene no i remember it just it moving it moved how it should have moved yeah the the my ignorance was where i was like what in the good hell are we talking about mm-hmm. what are we doing but like i said older me wiser me knowing more of that kind of writing i'm like oh no we weren't supposed to move that dialogue was important because there was actual like well, that, it, that, it, that um that ex uh existential? No 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 uh exposition was really important because it was gonna come back mm-hmm. a little bit later. Well that and I mean that's also you start to get a sense for what it's like living in this place where they constantly want to move on, but no one's doing anything to actually exactly. move on. And I think the between the director and the playwright that was brilliantly communicated because it became this Immersive experience. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't meant to be a fast-paced go, 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 go. It was meant to be like, listen, are you a little bit lulled right now? Yeah, that's how these people feel. And then, um, I almost went Bobby Baby. Uh, no, Babby no, no. Bobby. No, is it Babby Bobby that comes in with Babby the... Babby Bobby. No, no, that's the boat owner. It's uh, Johnny Patty Mike comes in with the gossip. And all of a sudden, we're like, Whoa, wait, what? And you feel everything change. The pace changes, the speech pattern changes, everything goes with a little bit of hurried pace. And you even like sit up just a little bit more because you feel it. And it's like you were just as much a part of that cast then. And that's the direction being like, this is the important part where you have to lay off the gas. Don't rush this. Don't force this. That's the inciting moment. We have to wait for that until we really because then it, go. And then it hits the right way because you... You feel it the same way the characters do. So that we live this... Exactly. We're living the same experience. And going along with that, I really appreciated the fact that each character had a goal which helped to drive their character and their actions. Um, And the way they were all tied to Billy in some way or the other. Everyone was tied and so was their goals. You know. Mm -hmm. Whether it was the ants being like, we need to take care of him and keep him here. Or if it was... Um, um, I almost said Heather, Helen in, you know, I want to, I want to be with Billy, but she's of that age where all I know to do to show you, I like you is make fun of you. Or if it's Johnny where he's, he also wants to get Billy over there. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's also like, even though these people might rag on Billy at the same time, they feel an, ins- they feel an incredible sense of pride that if he were to make it, they could say, hey, I know him and he's from here. It's like the MTA here. When you live in New York, the MTA, you, you can make fun of it. It is the worst in the world and we're going to gripe about it. But if you're not from New York, we're going to tell you, oh my gosh, the subway is the greatest system in the world. Nothing like it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I feel like that's how they feel where they're like, we can make fun of him. But the minute he steps outside of our door. And someone else makes fun of him? It's not okay, but he leaves the door. He's the greatest guy in the world. He comes in the door. We're allowed to make fun of him. But you're, you know what I mean? Like it's kind of like how my family treats you. Oh, wow. Well, you get... <laughs> wow. Thanks for that. No, it's because we love you. And so it's like, it's like, ha, ah, Andrew, that Andrew guy, he's so blah, Or blah, if it's blah. your dad, Cortez. Exactly. And then, you know, but then the second you're not around and someone tries to say something, it's like, ah, no, Mm-mm. he's ours. We claim him. You can't talk to talk about him like that. I'm gonna have to confirm that your your family claims me. I'm gonna have to see that in writing. <laughs> the show has had several notable performers, including Ingrid Crahey, 
Sarah Green, and Daniel Radcliffe. talk about the impact this show has had on the theater and its history. Uh, as for theatrical impact, I would say this is another great piece of Irish theater. Mm-hmm. And I would also say this is another great success for Martin McDonough. Um, I think those are the two theatrical impacts. At least that's what I think. I mean, do you have anything that you maybe want to add to that? No, I think you put it very well, sir. Well, thank you, ma'am. Uh, then we should move on to societal impact, I suppose. Yeah, so the societal impact, um, I think there wasn't a ton of impact, but like in our case, because of the casting, um, I mean, I'm not going to lie, like a lot of the reason why I went was because uh, Daniel Radcliffe was there. And so I was like, okay, let's see what this is about, because I wouldn't have picked that show, you know. That's fair, because, I mean, that is why I I, I grabbed the tickets, because Daniel Radcliffe was doing another show, and I like Daniel Radcliffe as an actor. I'm not necessarily starstruck by him. I'm impressed that, you know, everyone knows him for his role in Harry Potter. Uh, We've seen him three times now? I think so. I know at least twice, because we saw him How to Succeed and then The Cripple of Inishman. And he is... Really, really good. Well, and he really is very moldable, and people who only see him as the iconic Harry Potter character. They're missing out. Yeah, they're missing out. There's a whole other level to his acting ability. Yeah. I would also chime in that the show started a dialogue and conversation about differently abled people and what they're capable and of doing and how we view them and their abilities, not just them, but now. Yeah. You know. Um, it's like you talked about uh, ableism mm-hmm. and ableists. Uh, I think that that's exactly it. That's why I said, you know, Cripple Billy, as he's called in the play, yes, he has this physical deformity that you can see, but at no point in the show is it like you can't do anything, you know, until he tries to do certain things where it's like, oh, yeah, he can't do this. Yeah, he's but, not, we're not going to have him do the heavy lifting to load things on a ship. Right, but, but it's... But that doesn't mean he doesn't have value for other things for us. Exactly. And I'm just like, why would you assume that he's just a useless person? And I think that also kind of came back as a societal impact in the now, where it's like, but do you view other people that way? Do you see people in the same situation that look the same way and go, well, they're useless. They can't do anything. Why, why is that? Just because they can't lift something heavy? Why can't they do other things? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of other uses that... There can be. So I thought that it, it maybe helped spur a conversation in that direction. Yeah. So now we just come to the uh, the age-old question of, is the show still relevant? This dark comedy has been done many places, as we've discussed. And I think it, it can and should be done in many other places, such as colleges and community theaters and regional houses. But this is a show I don't think is right for Broadway in this moment. Not right now. I 100% agree.
As promised, we wanted to share some of our own personal stories about experiencing this show. So we had the good fortune of getting to see the show uh, once back in 2014. Um, this is actually our first show at the Court Theater. Yeah, so that was really cool. Yes, which is now the James Earl Jones Theater. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is a beautiful theater. I'm excited um, because uh, today we are recording on Monday, December 5th. Uh, we are seeing The Ohio State Murders, which is the first show to play at the newly renovated and renamed James Earl Jones Theater. So I'm excited to see what it looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a beautiful theater. Um, this was also our first Martin McDonough show. Mm-hmm. First of several. And I just, I love his writing. I, I, I didn't realize at the time how much of his, like how much I loved his writing. And then the more I read of his, the more I was like, oh. Oh yeah, I really, okay. Vibing with you, you know, and then of course meeting the cast afterwards. We this is back when we still stage doored, mm-hmm. when we were young and spry. Um, the cast was lovely; they were so mm-hmm. kind, and and we met Daniel Radcliffe again. Mm-hmm. And again, he was so nice. And the the thing I will say is, the makeup of the crowd was a little bit different. Where in How to Succeed in Business, the crowd was much younger. Mm-hmm. I think that's because of it was a musical and a musical that a lot of younger people recognize or relate to because they can they probably do it in their high school or whatever. Mm-hmm. This was not as young of a crowd because even though people might want to go see Daniel Radcliffe in a play, you probably put some people off that it was a play or a show that they a title they didn't recognize. Right. You know what I mean? You you probably had really diehard fans that were there to see him. Mm-hmm. So I did remember like the crowd was not as young and chaotic as it was for How to Succeed. Because How to Succeed, you felt that mob just yeah, push you into the barricade. And you were like, guys, this is insane. Where this was a lot more tame. And I fe- and he did take more time with people, um, which was nice. And he isn't, he, I've heard nothing but good things about him. Uh, he's currently performing at New York Theater Workshop in Merrily We Roll Along. Hmm. He's just, he's a fun actor to watch his career go places and he's funny well because also here's the 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 advantage to having harry potter money is now he really can do projects just to do projects for the fun of it and that takes on its its own separate self as an as a a creator he is just so talented and he's so funny and you see he just loves his craft and he just loves i i love watching him on stage because you can just see he genuinely loves being there. This is not the, I just want to, like, I almost feel like theater's his first love. Because mm-hmm. he just, he does. He, there are some, like, screen performers that come to the stage and there's just a disconnect. Like, it's, I'm just trying to show that I can do stage and screen kind of thing. He thrives on the stage. And I'm like, no, you're great. You can do it both. And, I, and it, it impresses me. Mm-hmm. And I, hats off to him. So... You'll be able to catch The Cripple of Anishman at a theater near you. We also want to remind you that you can now become a producer and a patron of the show by getting your backstage pass or by leaving a monthly tip in our tip jar. For more information about our backstage pass, you can go to patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez. And I'm Hope Bird. Reminding you to turn off your cell phones. Unwrap your candies and keep your mask on. And keep talking about the theater. In a stage whisper. Thank you.
If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. Our theme song is Fox by Music for Wildlife. Other music on this episode provided by Cud Eastbound, Jazzar, Kelly Lattimore, The Midnight Suns, and Billy Murray. Bye.